I'm Anastasia, and this is Vibrant Life Unlocked. Here we have intimate and insightful conversations about everything that makes life more vibrant. The energy, the power, the adventure to look at life with a fresh perspective, while giving you the support to develop a method and strategy to live life to its fullest. This is Vibrant Life Unlocked. Hi, everyone. Today, you'll meet not only a very special man, but also an extremely unique and rare human. In fact, there are less than 100 people and less than 50 men in the entire world that have done what he has done. What makes him so special? His name is Jay Julian and he's a double living organ donor. Jay donated his kidney in 2010, and he donated 60% of his liver in 2020. And here's here to tell us today about what it takes to give at the ultimate level while living a vibrant life. Welcome, Jay. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here, Anastasia. When I first learned that you donated a part of your liver in 2020. Is that your pandemic story? I guess so, yeah. I responded by traveling at the worst possible time. <laughs> it was honestly a year or two in the making, and really 12 years in the making, if you go back to the kidney donation. The, the liver donation was something I didn't know that I could do, that I could be a living donor twice, but I found out others have done this, and I had such a wonderful experience with my kidney donation in the years following and, and knowing the results of how that changed lives. I just really wanted to pursue this when I found out about it. It just happened to be in a very challenging time for our world. So yes, that is my very positive pandemic story. Jay, well, you look so vibrant, so healthy, and I just really want to get started from the very beginning. The first time you became a living organ donor, that was 2016, you donated the kidney. Can you tell us, why did you decide to become a living kidney donor? Yeah, I, I think that it starts with, honestly, how you're wired and your belief system. I really, really lean into kind of three life mottos or life goals for myself, and that's to do hard things, to love and be wrong rather than hate and be right. And uh, we're defined by our actions, not our intentions. So I learned through a very odd method about organ donation as a living donor through a movie of all things in 2010, and I just pursued that that night after that movie, I spent about six hours online learning and studying about organ donation and living donation, specifically a kidney. And the next morning I told my wife, I am gonna do this if you're on board and uh, spent the next few months getting tested and finding a center. And uh, successfully, it was July 28th of 2010, I was able to donate, donated in Denver my kidney was flown to 
Detroit, driven down to Toledo, transplanted into a gentleman there and started a seven person donation chain. So it was fantastic. So what movie was that that inspired you? <laughs> Maybe not the best uh, to bring up, but it's it was a movie called Seven Pounds with Will Smith. Horribly tragic in his story, but uh, at least it brought to light the concept of living donation for myself. Does Will Smith, does he even know what he has inspired? <laughs> I have not reached out to Will Smith to let him know. <laughs> well, maybe now is the time. Yeah, he might not have a lot of people reaching out after the whole Oscar incident. But uh, yes, I, I should reach out to him and let him know. Yes, now is the time. So this is fascinating. You watch the movie right away. You had this calling that I am the one. Like I want to save someone's life. And did you know where your kidney is going or you met your recipient after the surgery? It was after the fact. So in the business, they call that a non-directed donation. And it was honestly the best outcome that I could have hoped for because it didn't start that way. I investigated and self-investigated, as I explained. And so when you do that, you don't necessarily have a full picture. I would have been much better off to have a mentor. I mentor now with American Transplant Foundation. For others that are interested, we can help as donors ourselves, help fill in some of these stories and some questions and things you need to be aware of. I didn't have that as an advantage. So I was just going off of a narrative, a single narrative of what I was finding through the internet and uh, web searches. And so I, at one point, was getting tested at the hospital and trying to find a recipient through web advertisements asking, which there's nothing bad with that, but personally how that landed with me, I felt like I was A, either playing God, or B, it was like kidney tinder, and I was trying to find the one story about the magical walks on the beach that resonated with me the most, and each story was equally painful and needy. The people that need a kidney all have a need for a kidney. They all are equally hurting and equally need that chance for a fighting survival, you know? And for me, that was too tough to navigate. And I expressed that to the transplant coordinator at the hospital. And she said, I have an idea. Why don't you donate non-directed? And then the medical community can make the match for you. And by the way, organizations like the Alliance Prepared Kidney Donation can set up an algorithm and find a kidney chain and create this chain. Somebody's not matching to their loved one, but they would still give. So that just resonated well with me. And once I got directed on the right path through the medical community, then it became much easier to make the decision to donate not knowing who it would go to. I met though Troy after he responded to the hospital after the operation and wanted to know who we were. And that was an interesting phone call because I was very nervous and went into the whole thing not wanting to to make a big scene. So when I called, I just said, hey, my name's Jay and I'm looking for my kidney. And uh, he laughed, I laughed, and we've, we've become good friends since. Oh, how is he doing now? Uh, he's well. 12 years after the fact, I think we've each been at each other's house 
out of state, we feel like unofficial godparents to a grandkid uh, <laughs> in their life. We just have a great soft spot for them and, and their story, Troy and his wife. And we, I think, are invested like until the end of our lives, each of us, just in knowing how each other's doing in health and family and spiritual stuff. So we're just really connected. But that was never the intention. Uh, it just is all blessing upon blessing after the fact. How would you feel? Have you ever thought about the fact that as a non-direct donor, there is a chance that you might never meet the recipient of your kidney? They might decide not to contact you. I did think about that. And for a brief while, for three or four months after the liver donation in 2020, that was the case. I didn't hear right away from the recipient wanting to have contact. And to your point, Anastasia, there's always a chance with such a major surgery, there's not a positive outcome. There's no guarantee that my donation would be received by another person's body without rejection. So I had to mentally prepare for that. That's a great observation. And my recipient of my liver actually had quite a struggle in the hospital post-operation. And that was part of the delay of even reaching out. And I think that that was a humbling experience. It helped me refocus on what the purpose of donating was and that it was because I wanted to be kind of sharing my vibrancy with somebody else without motivation that there's anything that needs to be returned to me, if that makes sense. It really is a different perspective. Yes, it makes so much sense. Just like you said, you share your vibrancy, you share it like you know it's inside of you, and this is what you share without expecting the return. And I think it's such an incredible lesson that if we can share an organ, a part of an organ with another person without the expectations, what else can we do without being attached to the expectations and returns? Yeah. So you, in your former life, you were a pastor. Yes. How did that influence your decision to become a double living organ donor? I think that one of the biggest struggles in my life uh, was most influential in creating who I am today was actually making the decision to walk away from full-time ministry. That becomes so encompassing, all-encompassing in your life that you find your identity in the fact that you are in a ministry position rather than you are who you are. So it's easy to get into a trap and find importance of the position and the, the call, if you will. And I honestly felt that I learned a valuable lesson about not being a franchisee, but being an independent owner of my life. In ministry, I think it can be easy to be, and in politics or in our spheres of influence, it's easy to be a franchisee and say all the right things to keep those constituents happy. And that is not living your genuine self. Also, shortly after donating, I lost about 35, 40 pounds over the next two years what? just because I changed my lifestyle. I became aware of being physically active intentionally 
I mean, nothing fancy, nothing crazy, but just making the steps. And they were literally steps to start with. I started walking with friends at lunch at a, at a work, uh, an office environment I was at. And they actually ran, but gave me patience to let me walk. And then eventually a month or two in, I was jogging with them. And I hate jogging to this day, but I, <laughs> I jog and run because of the change it brought me mentally and physically. And honestly, even it taps into the spiritual, I can be in a quiet place on a jog and, and think through all of that, you know, the mental, physical impact and spiritual impact, what I need to work on in my life. Jay, so you lost about 40 pounds, 30 to 40 pounds. You gained more vibrancy. I would imagine after you lost all that weight, you gained more vibrancy. So what other incredible things that came into your life after you became a living kidney donor? Well, besides the ability to freeze time, no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I think that I received more love than I am even deserving of. I have found purpose in difficulty. We've had my wife and I, close family friends, go through some unbelievably difficult circumstances. And we have learned that being there, being empathetic and engaging, again, that active choice to engage in other people's hurt, it doesn't mean you have the answers. And it doesn't mean it turns out right or it would be reciprocated. It just means that action, though, allows us to find purpose. It was about two and a half years ago that we realized that the gender identified at birth of our oldest was, was not what she was wired inside and recognizing. And especially coming from a ministry background, this was shocking news and that opened up another opportunity for us to put into practice, do hard things. We're going to love and choose to love, even if we're wrong, then hate and be right. And the only way we're going to do that is be defined by our actions, not our intentions. So we poured ourselves into educating ourselves about Ali's gender dysphoria and what that meant versus what culture and myth said. We learned about what gender identity and gender expression was, and we started to empathize and learn from Ali's story. And through that experience, we then have become advocates, if you will, for others in spiritual homes, uh, specifically kind of Christian homes that have had children that are LGBTQ+. Uh, come out and rock their world. And we lead support groups for over 40 parents from coast to coast up to Canada that need to have somebody walk through the life event with them with love. Getting very emotional. I think we're talking right now, it's Pride Month and we're all talking about it and thinking about it, but what you're doing is incredible. And you applying yourself as a mentor, as a guide, as somebody who is there to support you, not somebody to even slightly try to change you, but just somebody is trying to support you. And you're doing it in so many areas of your life, including being a transplant mentor with the American Transplant Foundation. So thank you, Jay. Thank you for what you're doing. And 
I love the notion of the fact that sometimes you think that vibrancy, if you want to be more vibrant, you need to be around happy people. However, what you're saying to us, if you want to be more vibrant, you need to work on your resilience. You need to go through tough times. You need to be around people who are in very difficult situations and live through tough situations with them. And that is how you become vibrant, not just on the outside, but on the inside. So you completed Vibrancy Life Scan. This is the tool that I have developed. Was there anything that surprised you? Yes. <laughs> I have always been outgoing. Uh, if you're into personality tests, I am an ENFJ, kind of a protagonist or a, a DISC test. I'm an I for uh, uh, influencer. I love people, can talk a mile a minute. And yet the one thing, and it didn't score low, but it was uh, friends and family. I could tell I was answering lower than I would have three years ago. Mm. And honestly, it's been difficult with uh, our family going through the transition with Ali in a culture right now that's very polarized on this issue. So I guess it is Pride Month, so it's timely to talk about this. And especially true with a lot of my colleagues and friends and in my spiritual spheres, they tend to lean on that issue in a different direction that can be hurtful for those that are in the LGBTQ plus community. And that has been difficult to navigate. We have lost some friends. We've had other friends become acquaintances. And we've even had a few family members that just speak no longer to us because they would want to be sure to tell their side of the story every conversation that we had. And that's been difficult and that brought my score down. I don't know if you saw the reflection part of the, the test, but I, you know, I want to re-engage with those family and friends, even if it's difficult for them and for me, because it's just an opportunity for education. Uh, like you said, just the fact that if we can engage with empathy and connect empathies together, then we can still have friendship and we can still have that family bond. And it doesn't mean I'm having an agenda trying to move their needle. They don't have to have an agenda with us and, and move our needle on our beliefs, but we can engage empathetically, kind of like Brene Brown in her famous empathy video is, you know, we're not trying to make somebody silver line something they don't understand but we just want them to be able to say, well, I thank you for trusting me in sharing that difficult story. And if I can say that to someone else in the worst of circumstances, again, I feel I'm back on purpose. I love that on the Vibrancy Life Scan, you had very high scores for your health. So as a person who donated the kidney, who donated a part of his liver, tell us, what are you doing this fall? Yeah, so we talked about this just before our call. I'm going to be doing my first ultra marathon. And I just said the sentence I've never said before. I just said, I'm doing my first, which indicates there'll be more. So let me amend that. I'm doing a ultra marathon, which I have not done before. We'll see if I do more after that. But yeah, it's going to be in Buena Vista at elevation and about 4,000 feet of ascent in it. So it will be a challenge, but... I want to do that. I, to the point of your question was like, what are the physical things? How am I keeping myself healthy? I have completely changed. Like I said, about two years after 
kidney donations in 2012 and beyond. My wife and I just kind of started making a commitment to healthy living. And that started with awareness of being a sedentary and being still, and we started being active. So it was like 30 minutes a day of something, walking, whatever, five times a week. It's incredible. You started with walking and now you're preparing for a ultra marathon. Yeah, I do try to jog now th- at least three times a week, about three miles. So to, to go from there, you know, to not being aware of it at all, to jogging regularly. And my doctor says, well, that means you're a runner, whether you like to admit it or not, which I always refute. Do you think that you would be this healthy and this active if you never donated an organ? That's a great question. I think it was possible. It's always possible. Like I could have changed and there could have been another impetus. But what I became aware of was the nutritional side of things. As I donated a kidney, I had to adjust to having one instead of two. And your body does a good job of still being that great filter. You can live perfectly healthy with one kidney versus two, but it, it's very helpful not to, to ever invite anything that would bring on diabetes or bring bring it too much sodium into your life, right? So watch your diet. You're not eating crazy processed foods. You're not eating sugar. You're cutting down on salt. So those things happen. And that was solely because I became conscious of nutrition. The activity came along with that. And then I think that the donation just took it to the hyper level because I got hooked on learning like a doctor, what I didn't know because I've never been to medical school. So yeah, it just was compounding. What's interesting is that legally, if you are a living organ donor and if you ever need another kidney, guess what? You're going to go on top of the waiting list. But knock on wood, all the living donors that we have been working with, for one magical reason, everybody is really treating their bodies right. And they're doing so many things for their health that it is Personally, it never happened. I've never heard of a living donor that ended up needing a transplant. So it's extremely rare, but it's so good to know that in case something goes wrong, you go on top of the waiting list. Jay, so you donated a kidney, you experienced such a tremendous change in your health and you started taking better care of yourself. You feel an alignment and now you are thinking about donating a piece of your liver? How did this happen? I actually saw a story highlighted, and it actually, I think, was highlighting a donor story from American Transplant Foundation. I I, I don't want to misquote if that's not true, but I think it was Channel 9 in Denver ran a story that got picked up and published, and I saw the online version of it of a donor that had donated a kidney already, and she was gonna donate a small part of her liver to a child at Children's Hospital in Denver. And I'm like, you can do that? And you can help a child maybe? I was like so excited, but I didn't know this until, like I said, it was like 2019, uh, started to do my research and then pursue testing and all that as COVID happened. So it turned out to be odd timing, but that just was such, an amazing revelation that I had to pursue and learn. And it was just the same. I read this story and probably not as quick. And maybe it's because I'm older, I need more sleep. 
So it wasn't like six, six hours overnight and the next morning I made the decision. But over the next week, I had a conversation with my wife. I had re- done a ton of research online. I had reached back out to the hospital up in Denver, at least to their website for resources about that and started learning about the process. Here's why. You might be thinking like, why you've already donated once. Why would you even think to donate twice? This is the stat that stuck with me even in the process back in 2010 is that there are 16 people a day who die waiting for a transplant from a living donor. And every one of the people that I know in my spheres of influence are great people. And they all say things like, when we have these horrible incidents in the news about shooters, they're like, I would step in front of a bullet for other people. I would defend at school if I could as a guard for other people. And I'm like, well, there's 16 people a day that are going to die today. What are you going to do about it? And uh, that seems heavy handed, as I said that to you, Anastasia, but the reality is. It's true. It is true. It's just a different kind of death mechanism. And I have the ability as a human being to empathetically respond to that. And I wasn't going to let myself be stopped. And for those people who are wondering, well, who are these people that need kidneys and livers to survive? Where are these people? You can go to American Transplant Foundation website and look at potential living donor database or just Google potential living donor database. These are the people. These are the people and their life depends on someone's decision to become a living organ donor. And it's not hypothetical. It is real. It's very real. And once you see those families, once you see their stories, like it's so, it's right there and it's urgent. Jay, donating a piece of your liver is very different than donating a kidney. It's much more complex. The recovery is longer for the donor. The recovery is longer for the recipient of the liver transplant. It is completely different. In comparison, some people say, well, kidneys is just so much easier versus liver. What has been your experience? So I went in on a Wednesday for the kidney donation. I was out of the hospital by Friday. I went back to work. Was it at UC Health? It was UC Health in Denver. Yeah. And that was, I was back to work by Monday because I had a non-physical lifting job. So So Wednesday, you went to the hospital, you went to UC Health to donate your kidney to a stranger. Monday, you were back to work. Correct. Wow. That was not without being cautious. And I remember the most difficult part of that day was the end of the day when pain meds are, are wear off and you don't want to take medicine at work. And But it was honestly kind of like procedural type of pain. If you've ever had a gallbladder incident or gallbladder surgery, or I would assume I, I haven't had appendicitis, but I would assume it's like the quick recovery after appendicitis, as long as there's no septus, sepsis. But still, all in all, it was rather easy to recover. Mm -hmm. And it's mostly laparoscopic. Yes, nowadays. Nowadays. When I did the liver donation, I was uh, Monday morning surgery. I was in ICU overnight. I was into a regular room by Tuesday, and I was in the hospital through Friday. And I had to stay in Pittsburgh. That was University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. And had to stay there for the following week for a after, you know, whatever they call that, a discharge follow-up to make sure that I was healthy and clear to fly. 
And even because the flight was right at three hours, I had strict instructions about on the hour being up and walking down the aisles on the plane, you know, very protective. I had to be home for a month afterwards because I was so mentally drained. Your liver is really the power plant of your body. The power plant of your vibrancy. (laughs) (laughs) And your vibrancy. If it's healthy, if it's healthy. So uh, it was quite a different experience, a lot more taxing, a big abdominal incision all the way up to the sternum and through all of your abdominal muscles. So I had three months that I couldn't lift and I couldn't exercise as fast. I could walk. Healthy walking was great, but even running would jostle the innards, getting used to their new positions. So it was about three months before I got back to a more normal. Which is typical. That's a typical recovery, like for living liver donor, that's what you expect. So it was a healthy recovery, but it's a lengthy one as to be expected. Have you had any regrets? No, if anything, I would tell people they need to be more aware of the call and thus give less heed to the concerns, but do their due diligence. There are possibilities of side effects. There are, you know, or having a bad surgery and all that. But honestly, the incidence of trouble for a donor are very, very small. But I, I'm not giving medical advice. That's not my point here and not my place. But what is honestly holding people back is that switch that it, it's a vibrancy switch it's moving from a good intention i i think that in, idea is interesting to acting on it. like okay take the next step check out the potential living donor database on american transplant foundation read their website see their guides about being a living donor because you'll find out of your questions can be answered before you even make your first call to the medical center. And especially now that you can even talk to a mentor, someone like yourself, and ask the questions that you may not even be willing to ask your doctors, right? You just kind of want to know upfront what to expect. Yeah, so it's definitely... What was day three like? Yes. I can tell you what day three was like, (laughs) as best as I can remember. Do you know who received a piece of your liver? I do. So like I said, it was not right away, immediate, but uh, either the end of January or February in 2021. So my my donation was on October 12th in 2020. So about three or four months afterwards, the hospital set up a Zoom call uh, with the recipient. And so I got to meet Jackie by Zoom. And I went back, obviously, in October of 2021 for the one year check up and I go back in October again. So hopefully I'll see her then. But I saw her in October in 2021 in person. We met at a Starbucks and had tea together and talked for several hours and just had a good time connecting. It was extremely rewarding. And and again, just heaped upon, heaped upon, heaped upon with blessings I don't deserve. But that was a fantastic experience to get to know her as well. Jay, why do you think there are less than 100 double living organ donors in the world right now. Humbly speaking, I think it is probably larger a matter of education and people learning that they can do that than it is the lack of willingness. I I think, honestly, there's a willingness there. I hear a lot of people that are interested. 
and donation. But I think that there's not as much pursuit of education along that interest as there is of like, CrossFit seems neat. Let me learn about CrossFit and people get all healthy and pumped up about, you know, flipping over a tire and, and running Murphy's. But I think that when it comes to donation, it's a medical procedure and it feels, you know, maybe there's the white coat syndrome happens even as you talk about it and your anxiety gets a little higher. But I think that's why I said, I think if people would be educated, I don't think I'm special. I think that I just- wired, I do. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I think that I'm wired to want to mark that item off my to-do list. And so that greatly motivates me as well to complete a task that I set before myself. But the reality is the medical professionals are performing miracles and they are the heroes in my story because they took care of me. I entrusted them to put me under to do these major surgeries and to not have side effects and to have wonderful, miraculous results for the recipients. I mean, that is like superhuman work, whether or not they're wearing capes, they're wearing gowns, it's close to a cape. So I find that that, that medical reality is honestly a modern day miracle. And it's a miracle because doctors, for them just to consider to take a patient and have the confidence, you need to be a superhuman in a way. You need to be so healthy that say, yes, you know what? He can be a double living organ donor. He's that person. It's risky. And some transplant centers, they still don't do it. And some doctors don't do it because as the result of you living such healthy lifestyle and obviously being in a good space as far as your health and mental health, I'm sure they were critical factors in their decision. Uh, it is. I mean, there is no sugarcoating that they do not want. It's the Hippocratic Oath, right? They will not put you in harm's way despite yourself. So they will do every test and they do also psychological evaluation to make sure that you are not putting yourself in harm's way because it would be against their code. And that's what I found actually reassuring about the process is like, I can be foolish. They're going to stop me if it's not the right thing for me physically. And I say that a little flippantly. I don't think I went into it blind at all. But the medical professions, the measures in place, the transplant coordinators, all the teams in the, the donor world, well, they have two simultaneous goals on one. They have the recipient's best interest and they have the donor's best interest. And they're actually two separate teams, which I didn't know until I went through this process. So there's no cross-contamination and no thinking of one person over the other. It's true. So they're really out there to look for your best interest. And I think they were convinced that you're very healthy and you can carry it on. Like this super insanely superhuman mission to be a double living organ daughter. And the more people hear your story, the more people will understand that it's possible. And yes, we are living in 21st century and there's so many miracles that are happening around us if we are willing to look, if we are willing to learn. Jay, as we wrap up our conversation, sometimes I ask these questions in the beginning of a conversation. And today I would like to ask you at the end, what does it mean for you? living a vibrant life. What does it mean for you? 
I think to live a vibrant life is to intentionally live sacrificially for the benefit of others around you. And you can open and expand that sphere of influence to include as many people as you want, or it starts just right where you're at. It doesn't matter the size of that sphere of influence, but to sacrificially serve and love those around you is what I find is kind of the secret sauce of vibrancy. Is I have even written multiple times in emails in the professional setting that above all, I love to serve others. I think it's been modeled to me spiritually. I think it's been modeled to me through my family and my parents and my loved ones, both of my brothers. And I want to live that way because I think it is the most important individual way to move the needle, to make the world a better place. If every intent that I make, as long as I remember to do it, but if every intent that I make is to serve someone else, then that vibrant joy is going to be received, whether reciprocated or not. And hopefully that starts a ripple that continues and continues and continues. And I like, uh, I think it was episode six where Simone said it was eliminating excuses. Yes. Right. Episode five, Carrie said, all parts are activated. I'm learning from your other your other <laughs> lessons. I'm so glad you are. Jamie in episode four <laughs> says that being vibrant and being grateful go hand in hand. You see the interconnectivity of these stories is like being all in, being on purpose, being grateful. And even Christy's saying that the difference between your life being a drama and a comedy is that presence of hope, right? And if we can serve others sacrificially, we are that hope that someone else needs. Jay, what makes you so unique is that as you're serving, you're also remembering about self-love, self-acceptance, and taking a good care of yourself, taking good care of your health. I think it's so critical that if we want to give, we also need to take care of ourselves. I do my best, but I do love a good cheeseburger once in a while. <laughs> Who I, doesn't? I can't, can't, Cannot lie. Who doesn't? Thank you so much, Jay, for sharing your joy, for sharing yourself, for listening to Vibrant Life Unlocked and taking all the notes and learning and sharing and always growing. Thank you, Jay. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be with you on the call. Thank you for listening to Vibrant Life Unlocked. Submit your questions and explore free resources at vibrantlifeunlocked.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and review it on your favorite podcast platform, as well as connect on social at Vibrant Life Unlocked. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.